second man is on a suicide mission for himself. ISIS is threatening to go even further, releasing a chilling video of Christians executed in a mass beheading. Students run to safety, some with hands still in the air. Syrian white helmet rescuers desperately trying to free victims. The winds are ferocious right now, gusting above 120 miles per hour. If you shooting taking place at the First Baptist Church. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're at Liquid Church. We figured after an epic Easter, let's freak you out about the end times, right? <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're here for what I think is going to be an eye-opening series called The Eleventh Hour, Are We Living in the End Times? Um, maybe like me, uh, you look at the nightly news and especially these kind of ongoing reports of you know, mass shootings and terrorism and earthquakes and hurricanes and civil unrest. And more and more people are like, hey, are we living in the last days? Like, where is all this chaos leading? Is God in this? Is he going to set things right? And I just want to encourage you right up front. Let me be super clear. The goal of this series is not to stir up fear or create more anxiety. I feel like we have enough of that already. Amen. My purpose is to really encourage you that you would leave today with just an unshakable hope and confidence that God still has his hand on the wheel of history. He's actually directing the course of world events, and even in the middle of these you know, turbulent times that we're living in, God has made this promise. He said, I work all things together for the good of those who love me. Amen? So, church, my word to you is no fear. We have faith because the Bible tells us in detail where all of this is leading. That is the return of Jesus Christ for his church. So we have great hope. Uh, Speaking of the church, I want to welcome all of our campuses joining us. We're one church. We meet in about six different locations all across New Jersey. Would you welcome those joining us via live broadcast today? Glad you guys are here. Church Online, we're so glad you're listening. Um, Today, we're starting what's going to be a four-week series on Bible prophecy in the end times. And before we jump in, I just want to let you know of how you can make the most out of this experience. So I actually need everybody to take out their phone, okay? I know it's like, isn't that rude in church? Take out your phone. I promise you're not going to get struck by lightning, all right? Today, we have something very special for you, a free gift for everybody. Behold, I'm pleased to announce today is the release of the brand new Liquid Church mobile app. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So I want you to go on. A lot of you have been asking for it. Here it is. I want you to take 60 seconds and download this, okay? So like if you have an iPhone, you just go to the App Store. If you have an uh, Android device, you go to Google Play. Wherever you get your apps, just type in the name Liquid Church, and it should come up there under uh, Lifestyle, and you can just download it for free, uh, open it up. And uh, here's the cool part. Soon as you do download, again, just take 60 seconds here. Um, it's going to ask, hey, what campus are you at? And this to me is the cool part. It, you just choose your campus from the, the drop-down menu, put it in, and then it remembers it forever. So like, it'll always say, oh, okay, you're in Garwood or you're in you know, Morris County, whatever it is. And as you download that, I want to give you a quick tour because it's going to really enhance today's experience of a few features that we have included. Um, on the home page, uh, when it opens up, you'll see there, the first category is called Sunday. So this is what's always happening on Sunday. And if you click there, you'll see it's got a new here section, like for new guests, so you can check that out. What's our church about? All that kind of thing. You can give. Now you can give safely and securely in seconds. But then this is the cool part. Look where it says notes. Do you see that where it says notes on there? You'll now see we have the message notes for you to follow along on your phone, okay? So this is cool for those of you, um, you see the scripture right there. There's actually fill in the blank. You can type in the answers right there. Save the notes. You can send them to a friend. Today, I got this like chart for you guys to follow along on. Some of you are like always trying to take pictures. Now you've got it in your phone. What this means is that we're no longer going to be printing paper notes in the program, okay? Now, I know those of you who are like analog note takers are like, ah, oh, the paper. We... 
we decided to migrate to digital notes for a simple reason. We want to save some trees. We want to be good stewards of uh, God's creation. And so we print a lot of stuff at this church, and this is going to help reduce our paper consumption. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Awesome. But now here's the cool part. The reason I'm saying download it now is because you are now going to get bonus content every Sunday that our notes can't contain. You see that little tab says bonus content? Every week in the app, I'm going to put a little something, something extra that's going to drive the Sunday message even deeper. For instance, this week I shot bonus content uh, to answer these commonly asked questions like, hey, what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ? I get that a lot, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, do Christians uh, go through the tribulation? Basically, you're going to get an extra layer of content in the app that goes into way more detail than I can ever do in a Sunday message. So make sure you download it, use it. You can use the app to search the message library. If you click on the message library, it is 10 years worth of free sermons and series, and you can forward it to a friend, so we're excited for that. Um, you can sign up even for upcoming events. For instance, if you go on coming up, you can see you can sign up for spring baptism at May 6th at your campus directly now from your phone. So this is a way to kind of like, oh, you don't even have to go to a special booth. If you've never been baptized, you're a Christian, this is your next step. In fact, I want to speak directly to you uh, last week at Easter. We had uh, about 325 men and women come forward to the cross to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the first time. Praise God, that's awesome. But yeah, here for new believers, let me be super clear. This is your next step as a Christ follower. It's to get publicly baptized. Jesus did that. He said, I want you to follow my example. So you just click on the baptism button now, and then you can learn all about it and sign up to get baptized on May 6th at your campus. Uh, there's the list of small groups there, dream teams, all of it. But it's all right here in the app, 100% free. And I just want to thank our, uh, our tech team who put this project together. Um, yeah, can we hear it for them? They did a great job. We really want to wait to release this so that it would enhance the Sunday experience. And kids, now it's okay to have your phone out in church, right? Because your parents are always like, get off the phone, that's rude. And you're like, I'm paying attention. You pay attention, mom, okay? So don't be rude. Uh, let's dive in. So if you go to the message notes, you'll see uh, the 11th hour part one. Today, we're going to explore a New Testament prophecy from 1 Thessalonians about the return of Christ. And there's been a lot of, you know, in the news, ominous signs that we're seeing in the world around us. I mean, if you just look at the last 12 months, you'd have to have in your head in the sand uh, to not realize that our culture is becoming extremely violent. Uh, mass shootings over the last 12 months. We had the Las Vegas uh, massacre. Uh, this was the deadliest mass shooting in American history. A gunman opened fire in a country music concert. Uh, there was the Texas church shooting where there were people just going to church like you are ordinary Sunday and a gunman came and opened fire in the congregation. Uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Florida, there was a gay nightclub that someone went in and, and uh, shot all the, uh, the club goers. And of course, most recently, Parkland High School shooting where 17 students were killed in Florida, kind of igniting right now a social movement against gun violence. Um, so what's the point? We live in a dangerous world. We live in a world where even 10 years ago, people no longer feel secure doing ordinary stuff that they do every week, going to school, going, going to church, right? And what's kind of nuts about it is our culture is polarized about these issues, and our leaders seem paralyzed to do anything about it. And you watch the news, and you see more and more um, certainly natural disasters happening. Uh, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston last year, over uh, hundreds of thousands of people displaced out of their homes, billions in damages. Hurricane Maria tore up Puerto Rico, ripping up the entire electrical grid. There were earthquakes in, in Mexico. It just seems like there's more and more wave after wave. Uh, wildfires in California on the West Coast. In fact, I want to show you a picture that I saw this summer that kind of inspired me to preach this series, really grabbed my attention. It's a picture of some guys on a golf course playing golf while a raging wildfire roars down the mountain behind them, okay? This is from the West Coast, the wildfires. That's a crazy photo, right? Now it gets crazier because one of the guys decided to get out and finish his putt while that raging fire consumed the mountain behind them. And I saw that and I felt like the Lord said, Tim, that's a picture of America right now. We are oblivious to the danger on coming our way. 
There's a sense of gathering storm clouds on the horizon, but we just kind of ignore it. You know, like kind of tune it out and numb out. We distract ourselves with work, with our hobbies, with our pursuits and activities. Instead of letting us wake us up that we live in sobering times. So my hope is that this series isn't going to generate fear, but it's going to be a wake-up call. Because you can't ignore what's happening in the world around us. I mean, terrorism, obviously, is a real threat. Even though ISIS is kind of a degrade in its capability, radical Islamic militant terror is not going away anytime soon. The persecution of Christians worldwide is at an all-time high. Underground churches in Asia and the Middle East. Uh, the use of chemical weapons in Syria was documented last month. Over 100 million dead and displaced. Syrian Christians carrying their children after being bombed with nerve agents by their own government. Many global threats. North Korea, of course, right now, just kind of the threat of a nuclear showdown with Kim Jong-un. There's a renewed Russia kind of rising from the ashes, determined to interfere and undermine our democracy. There's this kind of madness in the Middle East with Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. We live in turbulent times, times of global upheaval and great uncertainty. And it's easy to feel fearful about the future. I mean, I don't know what these events kind of stir in your heart as you watch the news. For some, they're like, well, it's just the cycle of history repeating itself. But for others, it's evidence that we are entering the end times. It's evidence that the hands of history are winding down, and it's getting closer to midnight on the doomsday clock. Have you heard of the doomsday clock? Maybe you saw that in the news. This January, the Washington Post reported that atomic scientists advanced the symbolic doomsday clock one notch closer to the end of humanity. They announced it's now two minutes until midnight, as close as our world has ever been to the apocalypse. Watch this news report. It is two minutes to midnight. To call the world's nuclear situation dire is to understate the danger. Today, the danger of some sort of nuclear catastrophe is greater than it was during the Cold War. And most people are blissfully unaware of this danger. The Bolton's clock now stands at two minutes to midnight, which I want to emphasize is as close as it has ever been to midnight in the 71-year history of the clock. Are we really that close? Or is it two minutes to midnight? Is it possible we're actually living in the 11th hour before the return of Christ? Well, guess what? That's the exact question that Jesus' followers asked him 2,000 years ago. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told his followers, hey, the future is going to contain a lot of pain and hardship. And they were upset about that, so they came to him. And here's what Matthew says. He says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, what to, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming, Jesus? And of the what? The end of the age. So in other words, the disciples were scared. They were confused about what they were witnessing in the world all around them. And Jesus answered this, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, Jesus was like, well, there's an inevitability about what you're witnessing today. This is more than history repeating itself. It's the unveiling of God's sovereign plan for all of humankind because history is his story. And Jesus said, you're going to see certain signs. He said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, look at the signs Jesus highlights. Are we seeing these? Wars and rumors of wars? Check. <laughs> nation against nation? Check. Earthquakes? Check. Famines? Check. So clearly we're li living in the 11th hour. Why wouldn't you be worried? And this is where Jesus throws a curveball. Look at this. Why wouldn't you be worried? He says this. All these are the beginning of, what's the phrase, church? Say it out loud. Birth pains. In other words, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Christians, you're not witnessing the end, but the beginning of something new. God's about to do something brand new. Something's going to birth forth like a pregnant woman. In other words, the contractions in earth are getting closer and closer. I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, when my wife Colleen was pregnant, 
uh, with our firstborn child, we stayed at home because the doctor said, well, time the contractions, you know, and I had like, like a little stopwatch, and it was like, okay, they're a minute and 15 apart. Now it's a minute. Now it's 40 seconds. 21 seconds, like get to the hospital, right? Do, do you know what time it is? Do you see what's happening here? And see, this is where Bible prophecy comes in. If you've never heard that term, prophecy is, this, is basically defined as the ability to predict or forecast the future before it happens. Now, this is a series about Bible prophecy. So these aren't my predictions. I'm not Nostradamus. But 30% of the Bible is devoted to prophecy. And over the last 30 years, there's been the, kind of this, this deluge of end times predictions, right? First, it was Y2K. You remember that? Right? It's going to be like, oh, no, the computers are going to freeze in the year 2000. Not. Uh, then in 2012, it was the Mayan calendar, right? People predicting the end of the world is here. And with all these signs happening, you might ask, like, well, why wouldn't you freak out? Because Jesus says, all this stuff is the beginning of what? Birth pains. In other words, while it's painful, these contractions are signaling the birth of something new. And that metaphor makes all the difference. I want you to imagine you went to the hospital today. You walked in and you walk into the main, you know, hallway there. And you go down this wing and down the wing you hear screaming coming from the rooms. And you're like, people are screaming. But then you look up and the sign says maternity ward. How would you feel? You'd be like, praise God, new life, right? Painful, <laughs> but, but something new. new. New life is about to happen. But if you went into that wing and you heard screaming and it said cancer ward, ominous. Because you realize it'd be a symbol of death. But for followers of Jesus Christ, he's saying, guys, all this turbulence and pain that you're witnessing is the sign of new birth on the way. It's the kingdom of God about to arrive and break forth. The end is really the beginning because Jesus says, I'm about to return and behold, I make all things new. Amen? So take heart. Have hope. Don't be scared. It's because the next end times event on God's prophetic calendar is probably the most hopeful, I would say hope-filled prophecy in the entire Bible. And that is the return of Jesus Christ to earth. Did you know that there are 300 prophecies that predicted the first coming of Jesus? In other words, his birth, like at Christmas. There were 300 predictions in the Old Testament about that. But there are twice that many predictions about his second coming. In fact, one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament has to do with the visible bodily return of Jesus Christ to this planet. And guys, this is the next event on God's prophetic calendar, which is extremely hopeful. So today I have a simple goal. I want to clear up the confusion and really clarify what the Bible says you can expect about this core doctrine of the Christian faith. Because I think if you clearly understand what God's word says will happen, you won't be fearful about the future. It, it won't bother you if it's two minutes to 12 or we're living in the 11th hour because you understand with Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come, amen? Jesus is going to return and he's coming soon. And so that means you can actually live with peace. You can have confidence even in turbulent times. So I want to look today at the New Testament prophecy from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's in the message notes there in your app, or you can follow along on the screen there. But Thessalonians is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to uh, Thessalonica. It was the second largest city in Greece. And he wrote it there because the Christians were confused. They had a lot of questions about the return of Jesus. They, they believed Jesus would return, but they worried about what that meant. They're like, what happens to our you know, family members and friends who already died? Are they in heaven? You know, when we see them again, what about us who are alive? So Paul wrote this letter to explain exactly what to expect next. Here's what he wrote. He said, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to Christians. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who what, sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Here's how it's going to go down, he says. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, that's the return of Jesus, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, 
and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, freak each other out with these words. <laughs> Doesn't say that. What's it say, church? Say it together. Encourage one another with these words. Now, this is a lot to take in, and so I want to just help you understand this and break it down. Um, if you look in your message notes on the app, you'll see I broke it down into four prophetic promises about the return of Jesus. And the first, if you're filling the blanks, is just the return, the bodily return. Jesus Christ is coming again to earth. Uh, notice Paul says, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. He was worried that people were like kind of um, ignorant about the return of Jesus. And I think that's still true among modern Christians, mainly because when it comes to Jesus' return, I notice that people really get two key events mixed up. That is the rapture and the return of Christ. If you look at the app, you'll see I posted a simple chart that I think is going to help make this very clear for you. It begins with the first coming of Christ. When Jesus was born into this world, the Son of God arrives. His ministry began at the age of 30. He ministered for three years. He led the only sinless, perfect life. He healed the sick. He preached the good news of God's love and forgiveness. And then he was crucified on a cross, a Roman cross. And last week we celebrated that Easter. By God's power, he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. When Jesus left, that began the church age. This is where we are right now. Where is the presence of God in this world? Well, it's the church. It's the, it's the bride of Christ. We are supposed to represent Jesus to a broken world. We don't do that perfectly, obviously. But the reality is, is that we want to tell us, we took up Jesus' ministry and his mission. We pray for the sick. We tell people about the love and forgiveness they can have from God. But what happens here in Thessalonians is an event called the rapture. Can you say rapture? This is where Jesus Christ returns to earth to claim his bride, the church. In other words, he comes again and he takes all Christians with him to be home in heaven. Now, this is important, though. Notice this is shaped like a fish hook. That's because when Jesus returns, it says, we'll meet the Lord in the air. His feet actually never touch planet earth. Jesus Christ returns with a trumpet call and the dead in Christ rise and the alive in Christ rise and we're taken home to be with him in heaven. Now I want you to imagine this world robbed of all Christian influence. I want you to imagine every source of light, of hope, the salt of the world, it's all gone. The restraining bolt of the Holy Spirit is taken out. It's going to get dark pretty quick. And the scriptures say that a period of seven years of darkness and decay will set in, a period known as the tribulation or the troubles. This will be a time of great testing, of pain and suffering on the earth. I'm going to get into this in week three of this series. And I just want to say at the outset, there are different views of Christians all around the world of exactly what sequence the rapture happens in and, in, uh, you know, sequence to the tribulation. Uh, for instance, I believe the best biblical evidence is that it happens right before the tribulation because it says those are in Christ Jesus. We're not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But there are people who will say, well, I think it happens middle of the tribulation. God spares us the worst the end. There are some who say it happens after or post-tribulation. Guys, these are the, the important thing is this, humility. This is, this is not an essential uh, doctrine about the sequence, but the big E on the eye chart. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> and I want to let you know about this so that you can speak intelligently. In fact, one of the questions that I answered in this week's bonus content on the app is, will Christians escape the tribulation? I'm going to outline for you the three different views, and we're going to acknowledge good Christians who love Jesus and believe the Bible can have different perspectives on this and still worship our Lord with, uh, with unity. So you can watch that in the bonus content if you want to learn more, but here's the point. Don't miss it. The tribulation will begin a time of global upheaval of pain and suffering like the world has never seen before, involving the Antichrist. I'll talk about that week three. It will trigger a battle known as Armageddon, which we'll also look at, that culminates in the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. And this is where Jesus doesn't return for his church. We're already with him. He returns with his church to pour out his judgment and wrath on the evil of the world. And this is important, guys. 
because together we will help set up the kingdom of God on earth, a time, a period that's about a thousand years in the Bible. It's called the millennium. This is all from Revelation. We'll be talking about this. And then after that, eternity will begin. And so we will be with the Lord forever, as verse 17 says. Now, the big issue is that most people, I find, confuse the rapture and the second coming of Christ. If you ask the average Christian on the street, like, you know, Jesus' return, they would say something like, well, I think, I think he, like, comes back for, like, seven years, and then there's, like, a thousand, I didn't know there was math. You know, they just, they get confused, right, with all this kind of stuff. And that's what Paul was saying. He goes, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says there are, so let me be real clear about this, okay, right now. What has to happen for Jesus to return for, for, uh, in the rapture? Nothing. In the entire Bible, all 66 books, there are no remaining prophetic signs that have to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. Theologians speak of its imminence, meaning it can happen at any moment. And Jesus said, I'm going to return, and nobody's going to know the day or the hour. That's also why we don't predict dates and times. We don't get into kind of, the, you ever see that stuff like on the internet, all the, you know, wackadoodle, you know, it's going to be on May 12th at 6 o'clock. People, you know, we'll be in Arby's or whatever it is. They like make all these predictions. When someone tells you the date and the time, here's what you know. It definitely won't be that date and time. Because <laughs> Jesus says no one knows the, 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 the hour except the Father. So we don't predict dates and times, but understand we pay attention. Because Jesus says there will be specific signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. We just read them. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, natural disasters. But he says, don't freak out. These are birth pains before my return. And that's what time it is right now, folks. We are looking at the earth going through these contractions. The earth is groaning as in childbirth, and they're closer and closer together. And the signs are signaling, hey, we're entering the 11th hour. Now do the math, do the math. If we're currently seeing signs for the second coming, and we are, it means the rapture is at least seven years closer. Does that make sense? Nod your head if you're with me, okay? The New Testament says that the rapture of the church is the next major event on God's prophetic timeline in history, and it can happen in a moment. Verse 16 says this. Here's what will happen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Now, let me be clear about this. Jesus will not send his angels. Jesus will not send the Holy Spirit for the church. Jesus himself will, in the flesh, come down from heaven the way he left, visibly, personally, bodily. Jesus was speaking on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem when he was taken up into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends to the cloud, the disciples are like watching, like, where did he go? And they're asked this question. Why do you stand here looking into the sky. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will what? Say it together, church. Will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So right now, where's Jesus? Yeah, the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But when that moment comes and that trumpet gets blown, Jesus will begin the rapture by literally standing up from his throne and stepping into the corridors of time and space and descending down into the atmosphere of earth from which he rose 2,000 years ago. It is the fulfillment of his tremendous promise to Christians in John 14. He said this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out. Trust in the Father, God. Trust also in me, his son. In, in my Father's house, he says, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going where? To prepare a place for you. And then here's the promise. If I go and prepare a place for you, let's read this together. I love this. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Guys, amen. Give the Lord a praise for that. That's the promise that will be fulfilled at the rapture. Here's something kind of cool. You know, early Christians, you know how they said hello to each other? They, they didn't come into church like you may have come this morning. You saw a friend. You're like, hey, what up, dog? They didn't say that. They had this cool greeting. It's just a single word. It's an Aramaic word. They would go like this. they go, Maranatha. You know what Maranatha means? Our Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Maybe today, Maranatha. Because they weren't looking forward to going out shopping at the mall. They were being persecuted. They're going through tremendous pain. 
And, and so it was, it was a word of hope. It was a word of expectation. Maranatha, maybe today the Lord comes. They didn't know dates and details. That's why Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians to explain it to them. Make sense? God's first prophetic promise is the return. That is, Jesus Christ is coming again to earth. Be ready. The second prophetic promise here is the resurrection where dead Christians are raised back to life. And this is so comforting. Remember, the Thessalonians, they're worried about their loved ones who died, right? That's like, like you. They lost people they loved. They buried mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles who had died. They, guys, they had buried some of their children in the ground. And Jesus hadn't come back, and they were worried. They're like, what about them? And so Paul gives a profound prophecy to comfort their hearts. And I know it'll comfort yours. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have what? No hope. For we believe, here's the, here's the application, that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have what? Fallen asleep in him. Now this is interesting, right? Sleepy Christians, right? Like what's he, what's he talking about here? Take a look down your row, see if anybody is asleep, okay? Take a look. But don't wake them up. Don't wake them up. We're going to sneak out quietly and then be like, you missed the rapture. It'll be kind of a fun little end times moment there, okay? What's kind of cool is that Paul never calls Christians dead people. You'll never see that phrase after Jesus is resurrected. He always says they've fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean? Let me show you something. There's a cemetery behind my house from the 1700s. I used to take my kids there. We, when they were little, we'd play hide and seek and stuff. And um, I guess that's weird, right? I don't, they'll work it out in counseling, whatever, you know. Um, the reason I took them is because the tombstones are three centuries old. So some of them have these cool carvings and they have the letters chiseled on them. R-I-P. You ever see that? You guys know what it means. Rest in peace. Guess where that started? The early Christians were the one who came up with that tombstone inscription. The, because they knew, the Bible teaches, that when a believer dies, their physical body goes in the ground. It's buried. But at the moment of their death, their spirit or their soul goes immediately to be with God in heaven. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So at our death, your spirit is immediately in the presence of Jesus. But your body goes to sleep. It's laid in a grave. It's put to rest for a time until it's going to be revived or woken up. Now here's the cool part. The Greek word for cemetery is koimaterion. And it referred to a hotel or an overnight inn, a place of rest. In other words, if you were on a journey, you would actually check into a coimaterion. You'd go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and continue on your journey. That's why the tombstones of the early Christians always said RIP. Rest in peace because you're about to get woke. <laughs> That's what they believed. They said, I'm, I'm going to wake up. Jesus is about to wake us up when he returns. That's why the rapture occurs. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 15 says, according to the Lord's word, his promise, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede. We're not going to go ahead of those who have fallen asleep, who've died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a what? A loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. You know what the rapture is? It's God's wake-up call. You ever go to a hotel and, you know, and you check in and you like call the front desk and you're like, hey, can I have a wake-up call for like, you know, 6 a.m.? I don't want to miss my meeting or whatever, my flight. That's the idea here. But here's the difference. Ain't nobody going to sleep through God's wake-up call, okay? Uh, look what it says, the bell here. It says there's a loud command. There's a voice of the archangel. That's Michael. And the trumpet call of God. Now, some scholars say that those are three different sounds. Others say it's one sound, three, uh, three uh, really one sound, just described three different ways. Quite honestly, I don't care. It's going to be loud. <laughs> this one goes to 11, okay? I want you to think about this. When the heavens open and the Son of Man steps out and they ring the trumpet, volume, clarity, the scripture says it will shake the earth, it will split open graves. When you're driving down the turnpike and you see those cemeteries, they're going to be emptying out because the dead in Christ will rise first. In every way, it will be a divine wake-up call. 
You history buffs will appreciate this. You guys know Winston Churchill, uh, the British Prime Minister. Churchill was a Christian, and he was also a planner. And so Churchill planned his own funeral. And when he died in 1965, Churchill arranged, as his coffin was lowered into the ground, he had arranged for a bugle player from the military to play taps. You guys know what tap sounds like? It's a very mournful, very somber melody that is played at military funerals when the body is lowered into the ground. But Churchill had a surprise for everyone who went to his funeral. Because he was a Christian and Churchill believed that his body would one day be resurrected by Christ, he had secretly arranged for a second bugle player to be in the steeple of the church as people walked out. And the moment the, the funeral was over, he had ordered that bugle player to immediately begin playing Reveille. You guys know what that is? It's the military trumpet that says, wake up, wake up, he's here, wake up, the officer's here. And nobody missed the symbolism. As a Christian, Churchill expected the call to go to sleep would one day be followed by Christ's command to wake up and rise up. The return of Christ guarantees the resurrection of the dead. Dead Christians will be raised to life. I didn't say everybody's going to be raised. This is Christians only. This is important, guys. The trumpet call of Christ here will not raise all the dead. It's only believers in Jesus. There will be a later moment when all the dead will rise and stand before God's throne of judgment. This is not that time. This is the first call. And only those who died trusting Christ for salvation will be first in line to receive their resurrection bodies. And let me tell you guys, this is such a source of hope if you have lost loved ones who knew the Lord. Just to make this real life, last week... Um, I was downstairs in our basement digging around, and I came across this family collage uh, from seven years ago. It's a picture of all sorts of members of our family. When Colleen was in high school, her grandfather, Poppy, there, and I'm looking at my dad and grandpa and all this, and it was interesting because I was looking at this framed thing from seven years ago and realized in seven years, there are seven faces who are gone from our family. Poppy's gone. Maymay's gone. Uncle Sal, gone. My grandma, gone. My grandpa, gone. Dennis, gone. My dad, gone. It's a lot of loss. Seven years, seven people. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've lost loved ones. Maybe even the last year or two, you lost a father or a mother or an aunt or an uncle. And uh, God forbid, a a brother, a sister, or a child. Let me tell you something. When you lose somebody you love, all of a sudden, the future becomes very relevant, doesn't it? Because you think about where they went. You think about their eternity. But Paul says, when Christians lose a loved one who trusted in Christ for salvation, we're sad because we miss them temporarily, but we don't grieve like others who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So every Christian who dies, you claim this promise. Because when you die, our body goes in the ground, but that solar spirit is immediately in the presence of the Lord. And at the rapture, that body will be raised as well, raised back to life, reunited with that spirit. So Paul says, go ahead and grieve, but you do it with hope, because it's temporary. All those cemeteries you drive by at the trumpet call of God, the divine wake-up call, they will, those who have been asleep will wake up revived and raised to life as they meet Jesus in the air. And loved ones like my father and my grandfather, they get to be first in line. They cut the line. <laughs> they go ahead of us who are, are living. It says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. So you and I, if we're living, we'll actually see Christian family members and friends. They're going ahead of us. We're like, Grandma, hey, what? Whoa, here we go. They go ahead. This is the source of Christian hope. Why believe in Christianity? It's not to vote for politicians, people. It's because for the Christian, Jesus defeated death and death has lost its sting. When Jesus was resurrected, it's like he pulled the poison fang out of the jaws of death. 
Of course there's pain and there's tears when you lose someone you love. But death has lost its permanent sting. For a Christian, death is it's like a temporary nap before the reunion of the rapture. Just like the grave couldn't hold Jesus, the grave will not hold you either. Give him a praise because that's the power of God. <laughs> Prophecy is hopeful. Prophecy makes an incredible promise. It's so hopeful for Christians. The resurrection of the dead will be followed by the rapture of living believers who will be taken away to heaven. Verse 17 is where we get the term rapture from. After that, it says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that phrase caught up, this is kind of cool. It's Latin. The Latin word is rapio. Can you say that? Rapio, where you hear like rapid. It means to suddenly seize and then snatch away. To seize and snatch away in a second. Best example I can give is, uh, I remember taking my kids to the beach. We're down the Jersey Shore. My little girl's four years old and we're jumping the waves and I let go of her hand for just like, you know, a second there and she falls over head first into the waves. So like you had a four-year-old whose face is now in the underwater. How long you think that took me? I was like, you know? I'm like up on the boardwalk trying. She's like, what just happened? Rapio, to, to snatch away. That's what's being pictured here. It says Jesus will rapture Christians, suddenly snatch them away when he returns. And scripture says, you know how long it'll take? In the twinkling of an eye. Not the blinking of an eye. That's too long. The twinkling of an eye. In other words, the fraction of a moment that it takes a particle of light to cross your iris. Gone, rapio raptured, snatched up. In Matthew 24, Jesus describes the rapture this way. He says, this is how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. In our context, Jesus might have said, two people will be texting. <laughs> One will be taken, the other left bro, you still there? Like what? You know, right? <laughs> Funny, but sober. Family of five is sitting down to dinner. Three are taken, two get left. Or can I make it more personal? A row of people are sitting in church on a Sunday and 12 are taken, but one, two, three, four, five, six are left. Are you ready, church? Are you ready or not? Because Jesus says, here I come. He says, therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. There will be a resurrection of dead Christians, a rapture of living Christians, and finally, a reunion, where Christians, both dead and alive, are reunited with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Look at verse 17. After that, we are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Reunions are sweet, aren't they? This reunion has three parts. Three things are being reunited. You've got the dead body of believers being reunited with their spirits. You've got resurrected believers being reunited with raptured Christians. And then you have raptured Christians and resurrected Christians being reunited with our Lord. And again, this is, this is a word of such hope in a world of such sorrow. Again, I want to make this personal. If you've lost somebody that you loved who knew the Lord, be encouraged. This is a promise. You will see them again. Someday soon. Probably sooner than you think. See, for the Christian, death is never some final farewell. For a Christian, it's see you soon. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, because when Jesus returns for the living and the dead, one thing's promised. And so we will be with the Lord for how long, church? Forever. Forever's a long time. We'll be reunited with our Lord and our believing loved ones for eternity. Do you see how hope-filled this prophecy is? Paul ends with this, 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 this advice. He says, therefore, let us what? Encourage one another with these words. Let it breathe courage into you. Let it bring hope. Let it bring faith in the face of fear. See, folks, the rapture isn't supposed to be some source of fear. It's supposed to be comfort and encouragement. As people who have trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have a rock-solid promise. You have a faith-filled guarantee that you will be with the Lord himself. Amen? 
If you're absent from the body, you're going to be present with the Lord, so no fear. I mean, you can look back at our end times chart, and you can say, you know, I don't know what the future holds tomorrow, but I know who holds my future. I know where my future is going. Where is all of this leading, church? What's it say? Eternity. See, even if you're, yeah, give the Lord a praise. Amen. I like that. Here's what I want, here's what I want to say. Even if you're not a Christian, like maybe it's your first time and you're like, whoa, bro, intense. I get that. Thank you for tracking with me. It's not always this intense. But even a survey of non-Christians said majority of Americans believe everybody spends somewhere forever. And as Christians, we just put specifics on it. We know that every soul on earth spends eternity somewhere, and it's either in heaven with a loving Christ or a godless hell without him. And so I'm going to ask you a very direct question, a pointed question, as your pastor. Do you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, where you're spending eternity? Because my father was 74 years old when he met Jesus. He had a great life. But four weeks ago, we had a funeral in this very room, in this church, for a girl who was 16 years old. May she rest in peace. Life is short. The clock is ticking. And every day, there are more and more signs of the Lord's imminent return. And whether or not the hands of history are at two minutes to 12, one thing is certain. Today, we are closer than ever before in history. And my question to you is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready or not? Because here he comes. Jesus is coming, and he wanted to warn us. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man is going to come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you ready, church? Many of you are. I can kind of tell right now by the look on your face. Because those of you who are like, I am ready. This is awesome. Praise God. Come before spring. I can't stand the snow. You know, you're like, <laughs> right? Praise you. <laughs> but some of you, if you're honest, you may be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. Or maybe you're just like, I'm not ready. Oh, man. The way I've lived, the way, the way I'm living right now is it's not close to God. You, if you're an honest moment, you may be like, I got junk in my life. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's what separates us from God. And this idea of meeting God face to face is not comforting. It's scary to you. Friends, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says repent. You know what that means? Turn around, go in a new direction towards God, towards Jesus Christ and ask him to save you and forgive you. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Or I believe right now that there are some of you sitting here under the sound of my voice who, if you're honest, you're like, I'm kind of like the guy playing golf. I'm going to show you that picture one last time. Is that you? Would you be brave enough, some of you, to say, God, I have ignored your warning signs, and I have spent my life in distraction chasing my career and mindless pleasures without paying attention to my eternity, the things that last forever. Does that description fit anybody in this room who I'm speaking to right at campus? I want to get you ready because I'm your pastor. I got to give an account to God. How can you be ready? How can you be 100% sure that you'll be ready to meet Jesus when he returns? It's very simple. You become a Christian and receive the gift of salvation. Becoming a Christian, being saved by God, it's, it's a complex theological thing, but it's as simple as ABC. A is you admit your sin. You admit the truth about yourself that, guess what? We've all done things to offend God, starting with yours truly. That's what the Bible calls sin. That sin separates us from God. So salvation starts, we admit the truth about ourselves, but then B, we believe the truth about Jesus, that his death on the cross was the perfect sacrifice for your sin. And so Jesus died in your place, and then he was raised to life. On Easter, we celebrate that Jesus defeated death, Satan, sin, and hell. And he says, I can give new life, eternal life to anyone who wants it. And then C, you say, I'm just going to commit my life to follow him. You're not going to do it perfectly, but you have the humility and faith because you understand the time is short, and today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to add a D, A, B, C, D. Do it today. Don't leave this church without having that question answered in your mind. I want to give you a chance to do that by praying a prayer of salvation right now because you can be certain of where your eternity will be by asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. 
So let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads, okay? All our campuses. Just clear a space for a prayer of salvation. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I was thinking of coming up last Sunday during Easter, but you didn't. This is a second chance. There's not a lot of those in life. You can say at the 11th hour, I believed in Jesus and I received the gift of my sins forgiven. I left church with the hope of heaven and I'm ready to meet him when he returns. So if you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to pray right now today and become one. And to show your commitment, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If God's been speaking you today under the sound of my voice, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. Go ahead, just stand on up at all of our campuses. Just stand up in this room. You're going to pray to receive him. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God for you. Just stand up. You won't be alone. There's plenty of people who are going to receive salvation today. Praise God for you. Praise God. We're standing up and saying, Father, see me. It's between you and God. Praise God for you over here. It's awesome. Jesus, you've said if we publicly acknowledge you on earth, you will acknowledge us before our Father in heaven. And so I thank you for these souls who are standing right now. The gates of heaven are open, and Jesus is saying, come on in. Come on in before the fire. Just stand on up where you are. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. All right. Father, as we pray right now, I pray that you'd hear these words from the hearts of my brothers and sisters who are about to be born again and receive the gift of eternal life. I'm going to pray a prayer right now out loud, and I'm going to ask you to simply pray it out loud after me, okay? In fact, let's all pray this out loud so nobody feels left out. Father in heaven, I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus. I admit I'm a sinner. I receive him as my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you are raised. Now give me eternal life. I commit my life to follow you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'll follow you all of my days. Thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, would you welcome new believers for the family of God? Praise God for you, bro. I'll see you after. It's awesome. That's awesome. Best decision right there in the back over here. Two people. Praise God for you. That's awesome. Love it. Awesome. Hey, let's all stand. We want to celebrate new believers. Let's all stand. We're going to give the risen Lord a praise. Let's give it to the Lord today. We're going to sing a final song right now declaring that Jesus is alive and coming again.